Reflect on the CASP, the podcast that analyzes new forms of aggression facing liberal democracies, and hears from the innovative people countering that aggression. A special welcome to our new listeners. I'm your host, Elizabeth Braw, and I work on these issues as a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. And I'm particularly thrilled to let you know about a new book. The book is called The Defender's Dilemma. It's, as you may guess, about gray zone aggression and how to deter it, and it's coming out in early October. And revealing another secret, I'm the author of the book. On the news front, President Lukashenko of Belarus is intensifying his gray zone aggression against his European neighbors. You'll recall a certain incident this May when Belarus diverted a flight, um, a Ryanair flight bound for Vilnius and forced it to land in Minsk, where Belarusian authorities detained an opposition journalist and his girlfriend, and they remain detained in Belarus. And when Lithuania and the EU forcefully protested against this, uh, what one might call piracy in the air, Lukashenko vowed to flood the EU with migrants and drugs. And sure enough, since early summer, thousands of migrants, mostly from Iraq, have been crossing into Lithuania and now into Latvia and Poland as well. Now Lithuania is having to build a border fence at great expense and Latvia and Poland have declared a state of emergency. It's hard to overstate what cynical and clever use of gray zone aggression this is. There's very little the targeted countries can do apart from posting more guards at their borders and building fences, of course, because flooding another country with migrants is not an Article 5 type of aggression. We've already discussed Lukashenko's use of migrants against Lithuania here and on the CASP, but he's unlikely to stop there. In fact, we have seen with his expanding the aggression to Latvia and Poland, that he is not going to stop. Indeed, we have the big 2021 exercise about to begin. It takes place every four years and includes Russia, Belarus, and United other countries. And of course, takes place in the West because Zapad means West. Now, could Russia and Belarus try for new forms of aggression? To discuss the latest developments in this exceptionally dangerous situation at the EU's and NATO's northeastern border. I'm joined by Oyas Kalnins, who is vice chair of Latvia's parliament's foreign affairs committee. Oyas has been part of Latvian politics ever since the country's independence from the Soviet Union in 1991. And he was, among other things, its first ambassador to Washington. If you look up Oyas' biography, it says he was born in Germany and he was indeed born in a displaced persons camp in Munich to parents who had fled Latvia. They eventually made it to Chicago, which is where Oyas grew up. Welcome, Oyas. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Now, as we record this, the Foreign Affairs Committee, of which you are the vice chair, has just been briefed about the latest developments uh, regarding Belarus. What can you tell us about uh, what you were told? Well, we've, uh, we're continuing to get a spillover of uh, the Lukashenko-driven refugees. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the first wave was pushed into Lithuania, uh, but in the last month or so, we've been starting to get them on our border. We have about a 170-kilometer uh, border with Belarus. We have a much longer border with Russia. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, over the years, we focused on the Russian border because we had very good relations uh, with Belarus, cross-border relations. We have families that live on both sides of the border. There was trade going on. We even had good relations with the border guards. They cooperated with ours. 
And uh, up until now, <clears throat> oddly enough, our only problem with refugees happened to be Vietnamese refugees that somehow made their way through Russia and other parts uh, to get to our border to try to get to Europe. Uh, but that's been only a, you know, a few dozen each year. Uh, in the last month now, we've uh, noted over a thousand attempts at, cross, uh, at border crossings on our border. And that's up from just a few ordinarily right. each month. Right. And we never used to have a problem with Belarus. It was a bigger problem with the Russian border. Uh, but it was obvious that uh, the, the, the Lukashenko's campaign was directed not only at Lithuania, uh, but also uh, Latvia and now Poland because of our criticism. Uh, so what we're doing, obviously, we are trying to, to uh, stabilize the border. Uh, we're getting a lot of good help from the European Union. I think that's been very important, both diplomatically and technically. Uh, translators, uh, we have Frontex people who are helping uh, out and, and based on what I heard this morning from our Ministry of the Interior, we have things under control. Our, our guards are able to, to monitor these people. Uh, right now, I think we have given refugee status to 11 out of 41 who have applied for it, uh, because we try to look at each case and see whether there are legitimate reasons for providing uh, humanitarian assistance. But it looks like the vast majority are just being shipped over here through Lukashenko's means that, that, to try to bring them across the border. Uh, we know that in the past they had arranged direct flights from Baghdad to Minsk and then they were brought from Minsk to our border. Uh, I was told by our foreign ministry that the, both thanks to the EU and also our diplomatic efforts, uh, Iraq has stopped those direct flights but as we understand it, uh, Mr. Lukashenko has uh, tried to make arrangements with dozens of other countries around the world that are willing to, to ship their migrants uh, to, to Belarus. So what we're asking for is uh, additional sanctions, EU sanctions now on Belarus and specifically uh, against uh, the Belarusian airline, Belavia. Uh, because they're the ones who are bringing these people over. And we're trying to see if we can get a new packet going on that. And also we're, we're asking for sanctions on Belarusian hotels and, and other facilities that are uh, helping in this process. This is really interesting and not just interesting, but quite alarming. The fact that uh, Lukashenko is expanding or trying to expand essentially his, his, his migrant franchise to bring migrants from countries in addition to Iraq to Belarus, that they can then be transported to the borders of Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. Uh, what do you know? What do we know about which countries trying to encourage to send their uh, their citizens to Belarus for this purpose? Well, <clears throat> I've been told that there are several African countries that that he's contacted. We don't have a full list, and I know that our foreign ministry has been communicating with some of the target countries trying to forestall this type of activity, but I don't have details on, on actual country names. But I think, you know, most people would recognize those countries that have large numbers of, of potential migrants who are either trying to get up north into Europe through the Mediterranean, and now they, they've been offered a, an alternative route. 
through Belarus. And, and this is a classic case of, of hybrid warfare. Uh, and it's combined with, with a, a major disinformation campaign that's going on in Belarus. Uh, we were told that every night their, their news broadcasts are basically talking about uh, the European Union, about the Baltic states, uh, accusing us of human rights violations, uh, of all kinds of things. And it, this is a major campaign that I, I, I see that it's tied into uh, the pro-European protests that have gone on in, in Belarus, trying to discredit uh, the European Union. Uh, interestingly enough, there are very few Belarusians who are amongst the, the, the migrants who are coming across. Uh, we've had a few earlier on after the election who, who came over, uh, some are in Lithuania, some of the political leaders, and I, I know that's an additional reason why Mr. Lukashenko is particularly angry at the Baltics, because we've provided uh, the, a place for them to seek refuge and also to communicate their concerns. Uh, exactly, and, and uh, uh, that's a useful reminder that uh, Svetlana Tishanovskaya, who uh, was his main, well, who was his uh, his um, opponent in the presidential election and may have won it, we don't know because there was, uh, of course, widespread um, uh, vote rigging, uh, that she currently lives in, in Lithuania, which clearly uh, bothers him a great deal. Um, so that's the situation now. And so that, that raises the question, <laughs> what can we expect uh, during the month of September as, as Zapad 2021 gets underway. And it seems to me that a massive military exercise in, in uh, the West of Russia and, and, and in Belarus could be a, a useful background uh, for, for further gray zone aggression. Is that something you're concerned about? Well, we're watching the situation closely. We watch Zapad in any case, uh, the, uh, every time it happens because that means maneuvers in the Baltic Sea, uh, also along our border in Russia and Belarus. Just how this is going to affect the, the, this, this uh, flow of migrants is not clear to us yet. And uh, uh, I've talked to our defense ministry. Uh, they're, they're, they're watching the situation closely, but they don't want to go into too many details about you know, what they know or what's happening. But uh, we'll just have to see how this develops, how it complicates things. But I think for us, uh, the number one uh, task we have is to prevent this flow coming from other countries into Belarus. And we have to work diplomatically uh, with these countries. It's been very successful with Iraq. Um, we're trying to get the UN involved. Uh, we're looking forward to the General Assembly. We will be raising these issues at the UN General Assembly concerning this uh, use of, of, of refugees as a weapon of hybrid war. So we'll, we'll keep uh, working on the diplomatic front, although there's no question that uh, being a NATO border country and uh, having enhanced forward presence, we have troops in all three Baltic states and Poland, uh, NATO will be watching the situation as they always do when these exercises take place nearby. Yes, and but watching them is, is uh, watching exercises is one thing, and and trying to counter the use of gray zone 
aggression is another thing. And with, with gray zone aggression, the, I think the beauty of it from the aggressive side is that you can keep innovating, you can keep using your tools because there isn't really very much the other country can do. So when it comes to the use of migrants, what can you do other than putting more uh, guards uh, at your border other than building a fence? There isn't really very much you can do. You can just sit there and wait to, to see what they do and, and whether they increase it. And, and then you just put more guards at the border and, and maybe put a bigger fence uh, or build a wall. But it's almost as if the targeted country is doomed to be passive. Well, I, I think one thing that's important to, to point out is that even though the focus seems to be on, on our the border countries, the Baltic states and, and Poland, <clears throat> this is something that impacts all of Europe. Uh, for example, you mentioned the, the hijacking of, of the, the, the plane, the, the Ryan airplane. Uh, it was interesting because I was in Ukraine at the time uh, with the Speaker of our Parliament, and we flew from Kiev to, to Lithuania, to Vilnius, two days before that. And the planes were still crossing Belarus at that time. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it struck me that if, if this dissident had been on our plane, that our plane would have been brought down and he would have captured a, a number of Latvian parliamentarians and the Speaker of our yeah. Parliament which would have made it uh, another incident. But I think the key to that is, and it, this reminds me of the Malaysian jet that went down in Ukraine, is this is when the non-border countries of Europe realize that these conflicts affect them as well, yeah. because there were so many EU citizens on these planes. Um, and the same thing with this flow of migrants. Uh, for example, we, we know that there are about 130 Iraqis who crossed our border, but we have no idea of their whereabouts. Uh, we doubt if they're in Latvia because the impression is that they are trying to get from Latvia to Lithuania, to Poland, to Germany. That seems mm -hmm. to be their main goal. And uh, Lithuania was closer, but uh, since uh, there's stricter controls there. And again, these, uh, these migrants start going into uh, other parts of Europe. So it's something that impacts everyone. And that's why uh, we are very grateful that the EU, the European Commission has taken this very seriously. Uh, I've already been in several uh, bilateral meetings here in Latvia with, with uh, delegations from other countries. And it's the number one topic uh, that they bring up is, is how we're dealing with this issue and how it could potentially impact them. Uh, another concern that came up during our, our meeting today was uh, uh, the events in Afghanistan uh, are also creating refugees, uh, which are affecting Central Asia. Now we have good ties with, with the Central Asian countries and we're looking at the situation there because uh, they may get flooded with, with a, let's say a different group of refugees. And so far we haven't noted anything coming from that part, that region, but it just adds to, to, to the confusion of, of uh, and it gives Lukashenko new opportunities to try to manipulate the situation. Yes, does it not? And, and I was going to ask you about that. Obviously, uh, Afghanistan is, is highly unstable at the moment and, and lots of Afghans are trying to leave. And uh, if you are somebody like Lukashenko who doesn't care about his international reputation, then the door is wide open for him to try to, to exploit the desperate desire of, of many Afghans to, to get to a safer country, right? I mean, you're concerned that, that he will uh, essentially arrange 
travel to Belarus for Afghans for further further travel on to, to the border of Latvia, Lithuania and, and Poland. Yeah, and uh, you know, although Latvia, since we were participants in the Afghan operation and we worked with many Afghanis, uh, and we have been processing a number of them who have asked uh, to come to Latvia, those who worked with our troops and, and, and our uh, consultants. So uh, we're looking at that situation, but you know, Latvia is, is uh, not equipped to deal with large numbers of refugees. We never have. Uh, we have a limited capacity and we're trying to deal with that as, as it is. So on top of uh, what Lukashenko is doing with the Iraqis and others, if uh, Afghanistan suddenly adds another flow that just complicates the situation, it also draws in more countries, uh, the Central Asian countries, which uh, have complex relations with, with the EU um, and even with, with Afghanistan and Russia. I want to finish by asking what, what you think needs to happen at, at uh, Latvia's border, but, but also at the EU's and NATO's uh, northeastern border more generally, uh, because it's, as, as we have seen in recent months, it's not just about um, the, the threat of a Russian military invasion, even though, of course, we closely be watching what, what uh, the Russians and others, um, including Serbia and India, exercised during uh, Zappa 2021. But the, the point is that uh, borders can be violated in other ways as well, which is precisely what we've been seeing this summer. So, so what can a country do to keep its, its borders safe if the threat or if the risk involves things uh, that go far beyond uh, uh, armed forces and, and their equipment? Well, here, the, this is why it's very important for a country like Latvia to be a member of both the European Union and NATO. Because as we've learned, uh, we're, we're noting our 30th year of restored independence since 91. And uh, we've learned that uh, most of the security threats we face are, are not the kind that we can handle alone. And without the uh, EU political and diplomatic support, without NATO's military support, uh, our situation would be much more precarious. And I think that the same thing is with the, with the migrant issue. I mean, Europe had to, for the first time, had to deal with this in a, in a major way back in 2015. And it was interesting because back then it didn't seem like a problem up north. It was a problem in yeah. the south for Greece, for Italy, for Spain. Uh, now, I think what we're realizing in the European Union is that uh, all of our borders uh, for the most part, uh, can be affected in this way. It's a new tool uh, that can be used by those who want to destabilize uh, Europe. What's interesting and what's hard for us to, to uh, let's say, determine is, is Russia's role in all this. Uh, it seems like uh, I'm sure they're welcoming the chaos, they're welcoming uh, the, the confusion in the EU, anything that would weaken the EU, that's been their, their strategy for, for, for many years. And uh, since it's not clear what the ongoing relationship will be between Putin and Lukashenko, uh, that's a question that's up for grabs for all of us. But for us, the key is to continue to work with international organizations. We work with international human rights groups, refugee organizations, as I mentioned, the UN. Uh, 
we're multilateralists and we know that uh, we can not only help solve our problems by working with others, but we can also contribute because we were sending consultants down uh, to the Mediterranean uh, years ago to help with Frontex and, and those issues. So this is another example where, you know, one country's problem is every country's problem and we have to work on these things together. Absolutely. And I think we'll all be watching closely to see how you and other countries get on uh, at the UN trying to raise uh, not just awareness, but uh, the need for action uh, when it comes to the use of, of migrants as a, as a tool of brazen aggression, which is really something that I, I don't think the UN would ever uh, have considered <laughs> one of its, uh, one of its uh, tasks but, or one of its, uh, the areas it needs to address. But it's, uh, if it's not addressed, I think it's, it's safe to assume that other countries, leaders, other leaders of, of countries that are democratically challenged will learn from Lukashenko and, and, uh, and use migrants in the same way to the detriment, not just of those migrants involved, but to the countries targeted as well. So with that, thank you very much, Oyas. It was a pleasure to have you. Oh, thank you, Elizabeth. It was great to, to see you again. As always, please feel free to subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Many thanks as ever to our producers, Olivia Leslie and Leila Hernandez. We'll be back very soon with another episode, another guest who's doing pioneering work. See you on the cusp. Thank you.